Hi everybody, good to be back here. Those, those symbols, that, those letters HMV, I, I never knew what they actually stood for. Um, I'd seen that dog and the, the picture of the dog in the gramophone and, and saw the letters HMV, but until recently I, I was clueless what they stood for. Someone told me though that it starts for his master's voice. And suddenly that picture took on a whole different level of significance. And I, I love that picture even more. His master's voice. Our master's voice. I think it's so critical at times like this for us to really be listening in and tuning in to hear what God is saying to us. If I had to pose the question to you, what is God saying to you? Would you be able to respond with something that, that God is grappling with you in your life? Um, or is there a matter of tuning your hearing a little bit more? This sermon today is pretty much some of the God moments that I've experienced during uh, COVID and during lockdown that I just wanted to share with you. I think they have greater significance than just myself. And so why don't you sit back and listen to what God has said to me and hopefully will speak to a number of people out there about as well. Have you ever thought, had a thought that you can't get rid of? You know, those kinds of thoughts that they just linger there. Yeah. You start to dream about them because they're playing around in your subconscious a whole lot. You, you, you sometimes want to find someone to speak to about that thought because, you know, interacting around that thought will help you develop or, you know, limit that thought. Maybe you've overstated its importance. Um, in the middle of your gym session, when your mind is kind of flowing, free-flowing, you might go back to that thought. That, that kind of thought. Well, I had one of those kinds of thoughts a couple of weeks ago that just wouldn't go away. There's a passage of scripture that stuck with me after that last Colossians series. You remember that series we're talking about, Is Jesus Enough? Um, and one of those thoughts stuck with me. I was asked to preach on Colossians chapter 1, round about verse 20, about Jesus being the one that reconciles us to the Father. And uh, this particular passage, one, Colossians 1 verse 20, there's one element that I didn't get to preach about. I left out of my sermon, but there was the element that stuck with me. Colossians 1 verse 20, speaking about the Father's desire, this is what that passage says. Through him, namely Jesus, God's desire was to reconcile all things, whether things in heaven or on earth. God's desire is to reconcile all things. And those two words, all things, is what stuck with me. It seems to me that God has a desire to reconcile all things. In other words, anything that has been tainted by the presence or the brokenness of sin, His desire is to reconcile those things back to Himself to redeem those things, to bring them back in line with His will. He has a desire, I believe, to obliterate sin from every corner of the universe, every corner of our lives and our world. And this desire of His to reconcile all things, to redeem all things, I don't think they must, that, that, that desire must surprise us at all. I mean, it is kind of what we're praying for when we say the Lord's Prayer and we get to that part of the prayer that says, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, in that moment when we're saying those words, 
aren't we praying that the rule of Christ, as it is experienced in heaven, that it permeates every area of this world that we live in and are experiencing as well? You know, our school situations, that Christ's reign would come and impact that situation, our families, our health, our, our work zones, our friendships, our financial situations, our failures, our fears, everything. We're praying, come Lord, come into each of these situations that I'm, that I'm experiencing here on earth and may you in those situations become my king just as you are the king in heaven. Let, let me put it just a little bit differently. Um, kind of going to turn the diamond around and look at it from a different angle. It might seem different, but it's actually the same diamond. I want to ask the question, why do we not simply preach Jesus at our church? Now, that might make your hair stand on end with me, even suggesting that. But please just hear me out. And if you genuinely, if you've got further questions or concerns around me saying that, that's why we've got this Zoom meeting after the service so that we can chat about these kinds of things in the light of the sermon. So someone once said, in terms of this thing of not simply preaching Jesus, someone once said, and I think they've put this brilliantly, without question, the gospel is of first importance. Nothing should come before it. Without question, the preacher should make the gospel plain, who Christ is and the work he's done. However, if we take this to mean that only the gospel should be preached, or if we selectively shy away from other subjects that the Bible addresses, we do something that neither Jesus nor Paul ever does. We contract the scope of God's concern to the nucleus while ignoring the rest of the nucleus-informed cell, if you want to put it in biological terms. We reduce our vision to sun's central place in the solar system, but neglect its effect on the remaining planets and stars that orbit it. Isolate the sun in this way, and you soon fail to see how the sun's gravitational pull holds the rest of the solar system together, how it affects the temperatures of planets, how it gives light to other bodies, and how all of that creates life. Listen to a very familiar passage. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is God-breathed. And profitable for teaching and for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. Again, folk, it seems to me that God wishes us to be equipped not only to worship Him well on a Sunday, to stand in adoration, gazing at His greatness, but God's desire is that in every area of our lives to live equipped by God, by His Spirit, for those moments, and not just the high moments of worship and praise. Make no mistake, there is a universal impact around the story of Jesus. And I believe we'd fall short if those consequences or the implications of Jesus and His works aren't explained and explored and studied as part of the great story of our God longing to reconcile all things to himself, of God longing to equip us 
for every good work. So why am I making such a big thing about what some people might think is such a minor theological detail? Other people would say it isn't so minor. But why am I making such a big thing of this? Well, simply because of this. I'm going to show you a graph. And just to ask you firstly, if this, to understand that if this, the first level of the graph, is the story of who God is, okay, his nature, his greatness, his glory, the, the person of God. And the second level is the gospel, God reaching from eternity to save his creation. Well, my sermon is placed here in the lower third level. A sermon that happens in the context of those two first great truths. It's exploring the implications of God and the gospel on daily living. You know, daily living in the heat and the complication of a world that is grappling with a pandemic and all kinds of other struggles. And if the nature of God and the message of God doesn't make a difference here in this third level, then we have a problem. And so I'm going to share with you three God moments that I've experienced during lockdown. Moments in which I honestly believe God has spoken, not into moments of worship, but into the nitty-gritty of daily living in my life. And the first moment that I just want to touch on goes to the question, how do we respond to our leaders at this time? How do we respond to our leaders at this time? When we're hurting, when we're desperate, when we're afraid, when, we, when we're exposed, how do we respond to our leaders at this time? I mean, surely there's a Christian ethic to being the kind of citizen that Christ would have us be. A way of acting, a way of responding to our leaders that is more Christ-like than those that couldn't care less about God. And if there was a Christian ethic like that, that shaped our responses in our country, wouldn't that be one of the greatest contributions we could make to our country at this time? There was a bit of a stark moment for me that triggered my thinking around this, particularly in our response to our, in, in line with our responses as Christians. I've heard a fair amount of discontentment expressed towards leadership during this lockdown experience. Uh, to take that even a bit further, some of the sentiments have genuinely been full of bile and bitterness and anger and disappointment, all that heavy stuff. And it was a particularly amazing to me how about a two-week period, a very positive sentiment towards our present changed to a largely negative sentiment in many quarters online. And I was sad to witness a number of Christians throw their anger and their hatred in with the rest of the social media world. Now, whatever our take is on the calls that the presidency is making at the moment, and I'm not going to get into that. John's the guy that earns the big bucks in our church, so I'm going to leave that sermon for him. But whatever the calls are that the presidency is making, it struck me how important it is for us as followers of Christ to be the kind of followers and citizens that Scripture portrays so that we can, through our Christian presence, bring God's kingdom into the conversations and the challenges that South Africa is going through at the moment. Makes sense to me that a country is built and that, that a country is either built or falls on the quality of its citizenship, I would guess almost as much, if not more, than the leadership. And let's be honest, 
None of us would battle to agree that we are now facing a chapter in our country's history where we desperately need to rebuild our country. We're going to need to rebuild the elements of our church. Many of us are going to re- need to rebuild our businesses. And a Christian's presence in these zones, a faithful Christian's presence in these zones, is to bring a blessing of, I think, healthiness and hope and momentum despite the brokenness we've experienced. So please allow me to simply remind ourselves as followers of Christ of some of the non-negotiables when it comes to being Christian followers in our country or in our church or in businesses or in our families at this time. Four verses that come to mind. First one, 1 Timothy chapter 2 verses 1 and 2 reads simply as follows. I urge then, first of all, that petitions and prayers and intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives. And so it carries on. Folk, if we are not praying for our leaders in these difficult times, I've got to say that I'm not too sure what to do about that. As a first port of call, can I simply encourage you, take your concerns about the corruption and the complication that this country is facing, the desperate need. Take these concerns, whatever is lingering in your mind, and bring it very naturally to God in prayer. Bring your leaders who grapple with these things on the front line in a way that we as followers will never need to grapple with. Bring them to God in prayer. Ask for wisdom. Ask for discernment. I want you to imagine we had to make a rule. If I was Pope for just one day, you know, and I had to make a rule that impacted every Christian. And the rule was that we're only allowed to make pronouncement about the, the strengths or the weaknesses of our leaders based on the amount, of quality, amount and quality of our time that we spent in prayer for them. I wonder how many of us would still be making pronouncement about our leaders. And that's just a challenge. Pray for them. Second verse, Matthew 22 verse 21 Again, Jesus says, Jesus said to them, so give back to Caesar's what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Um, let's recognize fair, very simply that even in Jesus' economy of things, that our allegiance to the government, to our leaders, is a given. There's an element of allegiance and obedience that in Jesus' economy of things is a non-negotiable. How bias as Christians will always be to respond with obedience to the powers that be. It's the call of Jesus to us as citizens, and there's no start stepping, stepping that one. Give to Caesars what he Caesars. Romans chapter 13, verse 1, the next verse. Let everyone be subject. Oh, tough verse for leaders to hear. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Simple as that. Now recognize the very real difficulty of that verse. People like Hitler, oh my hat, being an authority that God established, it boggles my mind and it's taken many hours of thought for me. But let's not get caught up with the questions that verse poses. Let's appreciate the heart of what is being said here. Your leaders and a Christian finds it wise to see this as true. 
Your leaders haven't up ended up there purely by a stroke of unbelievable fate or luck. God has, his ha- has had his hand in the, mix, in the mix of the appointment. Somewhere along the line. And it'll take a person of incredible discernment to always be able to name these things. But somewhere along the line, as they respond, these leaders respond to the leadership challenges that they are facing, we can know that the right person is there to achieve something of God's will for that time and place. Whether it's blessing for the country or correction, I don't know, that, that the leaders call to, that's up to God to use them in His will. But no doubt, in the leader's presence, in our leader's presence, we can see something of the fingerprints of God. Make no mistake. Make sure you're looking carefully for those movements of God as well. Last uh, verse in terms of this, 2 Samuel chapter 12. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but it's basically a story of the prophet Nathan, and he's holding King David accountable for his actions. And that's the last biblical non-negotiable I'm going to raise. We're meant to vigorously and with much discernment from God's Spirit work out our role in holding our leaders accountable. So many prophets throughout the story that Scripture tells did the work of leading their leaders. You'd hear them saying things like, don't do this, why did you do that? This is your failure, this is your calling, go in this direction. Their voice wasn't silent, believers' voices wasn't silent, and neither should ours be. This is not an invite, obviously, to ballistic and unhelpful criticism the kind I was mentioning earlier. Yeah? One-liner memes that we just throw onto Facebook but never follow up with discussion. They're just dissing leaders. It's an invite rather to push back where the ways of God are being compromised and to do that wisely and to do that with gentleness but with real consideration as well. No mistake, South Africa desperately needs a strong Christian presence at the moment. May your voice be heard and your presence recognized, not only in criticism, but in support and encouragement and prayer as well. That was my first God moment. Second one. Second one came with this very real realization that came at me again and again, I'm sure many of us, um, that our church is changing. Our church, like every other area of your life, I'm sure, school life, your recreational life, your work life, you know, everything is in the middle of change and redefinition. Even my waistline is in the process of change. Um, Changing the shape, changing the look and feel of church is nothing new in history. The church has changed and morphed constantly throughout history so to become more and more effective I mean, it used to be citywide, and so we would talk about the church in Ephesus or the church in Rome. It was citywide. It was directed very often simply by letters and pastors that would only pop in once every few months or even years. Um, it became institutionalized at some point when the state recognized it. There was another change. And then it became this incredible missional kind of outreach that went beyond the Middle East, and now the faith is known in every corner of of our world, and that was another change that was absolutely necessary. And every few years, and probably even geographically, our church, the, the look and shape of church, has changed so that it can become more and more effective. And where that has left us in Westville till a few weeks ago 
is that our church looked like a church that was largely geographically defined. You know, we'd come here at this, at this premise to meet on a Sunday. We'd meet in a home. Um, but always in the kind of Westville context, there was always a, a fairly ordered form of worship. There was a strong emphasis, emphasis on singing side of worship in our services. Our experience of community, the real experience of community, was largely decentralized into you know, youth meetings or life group meetings and so on. And no mistake, I am missing so many elements of how our church was functioning. Um, I really am. I miss some real elements of close proximity, even though I'm largely an introvert, believe it or not. Those guys, both young and old, that shake my hand and, and, and often give me uphill as I walk up the ramp towards our church. You know, they welcome me, and I love them, and I miss them. I miss their smiling faces. I miss the baristas. Not a great-looking bunch of chaps. The ladies are fine, but, but I miss them anyway. Generous guys, always got a little bit of a... Uh, uh, you know, just a smile on their face. I must get this one. I miss not hearing my voice in worship. I miss that. You know, when I'm singing at home, it's just not the same as my voice being drowned by many other people, including the worship leader. I miss not hearing my voice in worship. I miss hugs from those, hugs from those dodgy old ladies in the pews. I miss the coffee shop down there and that awesome staff at home ground. I miss seeing new faces. I miss seeing old faces. I miss laying hands on encouragement and love on those that are hurting and that I haven't seen for a while. You know, there's so much that I'm missing at the moment. And the reality is, that, and I'm sure all of us could be doing the same, I could, I could simply sit here licking my wounds, hankering after how things were. But folk, let's be reminded very critically, and I believe this is what God spoke to me about, that we are committed to the mission of the church more than to the model of the church. Committed to the mission of the church more than the model of the church. Can you, can you appreciate the difference? We need to be careful that we don't take our eyes off the mission of our church. Because the model we were so because of the model that, that we were so comfortably acquainted with has now been taken from us. And I need to ask you the question, is the mission that gave birth to the idea of church life in the first place, is that still pumping through the veins of your faith? Yeah. The way our church has expressed that mission is to say we are finding a living faith, building a loving church and reaching a lost and hurting world. Or more recently, we've restated, saying the same, but using other words by saying we call to individual transformation, uh, church-wide transformation, and community transformation. Folk, whatever words we're using, these are the things that we need to keep the eye of our faith on and our heart of faith sold on. We need to find a way in this new world, not only to make those things happen, but for them to happen powerfully or we will be defeated by these circumstances. You know, I don't mind if you've enjoyed the break from the monotony of our old rhythm of doing church. Some people have loved the break. I know that there are some people that have benefited from this cosmic reset button being hit and, and, and stopping the same meetings happening over and over and over again. But if but if we've allowed the loss of that rhythm and routine to take away from us the mission of the church, 
or the experience of church life, then I think we've given up too much. So for example, life groups or LTCs that haven't met in any real way, shape or form since the start of lockdown. I wonder if we've unintentionally also then chosen or unfortunately given up on the mission of being a loving church to each other as well. What about prayer warriors? You, know, you guys that have faithfully attended prayer meetings for the last number of decades. Please don't lose your heart for corporate prayer because the old shape has disappeared. Now that meetings don't happen, prayer meetings don't happen like they used to, there's a whole new and exciting shape of prayer meetings that is developing online. Uh, More people have been engaging in prayer meetings during the lockdown period than ever before in our church. In this instance, it seems the loss of the previous model has in some weird and wonderful way increased the mission of prayer. Please get back into that mission. Folk, as I said earlier, I don't mind you getting out of the meetings. But for goodness sake, don't give up on church. Use your own initiative. Use your own resources. And if you don't have either of those, be in touch with us so that we can help you. um, Help you to again find church. In some ways, it may not be as great as it used to be. In other ways, maybe it's better than it used to be. But find church again. It might not be as familiar as it used to be now that we have to do it through a screen way too often and we're all tired of screens. But stand up on your own two feet and fight and create and pursue and fight for church again. Because right from the start, the faith community is a context in which God intended us to deepen and broaden the quality and the resilience of our faith in Him and our relationship with Him. I'm not going to see you on Sunday. But know, like seldom before, all of us will need to work to find our church connections. And you know what? I think that that is going to be an excellent thing for all of us. In the maturing of our faith, to have to go an extra mile now to find that that is important to us in the form and shape of church. Two other moments that have been very powerful for me as I've I've thought through this changing church of ours. Both of these moments have to do with, with our church's response to the poor. That's the context in which these moments happen. Before I tell you about these moments, I want to just say and put it out there that I honestly believe that this church has always been generous, a generous church. And I say that with no intention of manipulation. Um, I'm not trying to charm you. I'm not going to ask you to fork out some money at this point. We have many people. The reality is we have many people who give of their time, who give of their resources, who give of their money, They give of themselves again and again and again. Um, It's one of the major reasons I believe in the significance of church life. You know, the footprint of blessing that this church leaves in so many people's lives. I've said this before. In so many communities, it's incredible. It's miraculous in my mind. But here are the two moments that I experienced recently. One was with a cast member of our church. Um, 
cast have been at the forefront of battling the creeping poverty of, 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 of this lockdown of COVID experience since day one, at the absolute coalface. And at that point of the meeting, sorry, this, this, this conversation happening at a meeting of, a, of KZN churches around the, the challenges of food parcels and so on. And at that point of the meeting, as far as I understand, um, Sandy and another gent were considering the experiences that they'd shared over the last few weeks as they tried it to, to respond to this tsunami of need. Um, those experiences had painted for them a very challenging picture of what is actually happening out there, often beyond the horizons of my own vision. The thousands of people that were still needing food parcels, no matter how many were de delivered. Yeah? Despite the work. That, and into that moment, this pe person that was standing with Sandy said these words. They said, but this is the new church. This grappling that we are now doing to try and respond in the name of Jesus to that immense need out there, this is the new church. And there's something that rings so true about that statement for me. We, because of the Spirit of God in us, we must allow the realities of the poor to stare us in the face day in and doubt and move our hearts profoundly. Folk, the specter of poverty and hunger must never again leave our sight as a church. Fast forward a couple of days, and I'm sure it's actually the same week, very, very close by, and one of the businessmen who was in an LTC meeting with me, um, when we were asking how God was speaking to them at the moment, surprisingly, his reply was, God is speaking to me through the poor. You know, more than anything else in that moment, for that gent, it was the desperation of the poor that was molding his heart, and leading his heart to be more like God. Compassion, a desire to serve, a longing to heal and bring relief. These are just some of the gifts that the poor are able to lead us to. As we invite the poor into our faith, we find the depth of the wisdom that it is indeed better to give than to receive. So again, may the requests of the poor around us never again be banished from our ears. And I believe this is going to increasingly be a part of the DNA of our church that is going into the future. We cannot try to create, and we mustn't want to try to create an island that is independent of our country's needs. And more importantly, we cannot create an organization called a church that tries to ignore the heart that God has for the poor. And so we're going to have to grapple with this. and Think through and dig deeper into shallower coffers as we go into the future to find answers. This is who we have been in our history as a church. But I believe to a great extent, it is also who we must become in our, in our calling as a church. Last God moment, very quickly. Last God moments lead me to, led me to in, in COVID um, is simply the acknowledgement that family is awesome. I will never, ever regret the time that I've spent with my daughter and my wife during this time. You know, I wish my other daughter, who's a, an au pair in America, I wish she was with us. Um, we love her and we speak to her often. 
but I'll never regret, regret this time that we spent. The amount of time that we've had, each, had with each other at home has on a number of occasions slipped very naturally from quantity time to quality time. And I'm reminded that in God's scheme of things, family ties are an absolute gift from God. For those that don't have families around them, it reminds me of the importance of the spiritual family at home ground and what we can offer to people that are lonely and exposed and needing support. So my last God moment is simply to say thank you, God, that history happens in such a way that we can be blessed no matter what our situation is. God is present with us, even in the toughest times. So to sum up this sermon, I believe our love for our Savior goes beyond just a gazing at His greatness. As awesome as that is. I believe it goes further than simply a prayer of repentance as we first encounter Jesus, as necessary as that is. I believe our faith reaches deep into the nitty-gritty, unattractive parts of our lives. How we conduct ourselves as citizens in a country, how we fight for church, even when it's always through that horrible screen, and how we will find blessing even in the toughest moments of history. And when our faith lands in these ordinary daily experiences of life, then I believe we become part of the prayer that we pray when we ask God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. We become part of the journey of reconciling all things to the Father, all things broken by the taint of sin, back to our Lord. And what an epic privilege that journey is to do with our Father. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.